Welcome to Folk Roots Radio. I'm Jan Hall. All the best in Folk Roots Americana, singer-songwriters and blues, and artist interviews. Folk Roots Radio, we're all about the music and the people that make it. Well, welcome to a very special Folk Roots Radio. We're giving over the whole of this episode to a conversation with alternative folk artist and poet Saffron A., who creates her music on octave mandolin and mandocello. Now, Saffron A. joined us in the Folk Roots Radio studio recently to chat about her very powerful new single, Resilience, which will be followed by the release of a full EP of the same name in May. Now, Resilience documents the emotional fallout from a sexual assault that occurred last summer. This fall, Saffron A. will release a second EP, Resistance, which will further document her progress since the assault. And that will be followed by the release of more songs as part of a full concept album. We had a wonderful conversation, and this is a very interesting project, and definitely worth checking out. Sexual assault is an important societal topic that needs our attention and public discussion. However, we also appreciate that some listeners may be triggered by such conversations. So let's get started. This is Saffron A with Resilience on Folk Roots Radio. Woman 
That's Saffron A with the title track from her new EP, Resilience, which arrives later this spring. Saffron A is an alternative folk artist and poet who splits her life between Brantford and Toronto and describes her music as sitting where emotion and intellect intersect. Distinct from every young musician who starts out on guitar, Saffron A creates her music on octave mandolin, mandocello, and other members of the mandolin family. She studied classical Baroque voice for seven years and performed in a chamber choir before developing her own career as a singer-songwriter. We're pleased to welcome Saffron A into the Folk Roots Radio studio today. It's great to have you join us. I'm so happy to be here. That is an incredibly powerful song, I have to say. It's not the first time I've heard it because uh, I should mention to our listeners that actually you were a member of the Developing Artists Programme. Mm-hmm. at the Folk Music Ontario conference last year. That was in September. And we had a little chat. Oh, it wasn't really a chat because it was more of you speaking to my microphone about your music at that time. And I, <laughs> I realized at that point there's something very special about the music that you make. And and I think from your point of view, we're going to talk about this in a few moments, but something that you, you really need to get out into the world. Uh, we did have a chance to, to preview a demo version of resilience Mm -hmm. at that time now resilience will be coming out this spring Mm -hmm. as part of an ep right yes um the single is dropping this wednesday march 27th which is wild it's very exciting and um slightly terrifying because it is so real and so the single comes out on this coming wednesday but the Mm -hmm. actual album will arrive in sometime in may is that right Mm -hmm. may 4th okay okay before we get into the the subject matter, I want to just touch base on get a little bit of history of of your music because mm-hmm. uh, you studied baroque voice for seven years. I did, actually. I think I think it was longer because it was um, I I put down the wrong date. So I started in grade five learning Italian arias. Um, before that, so my mom she did pitch matching exercises with me. As a baby, she was conducting while I was in utero. So my joke is I was brainwashed into music. Um, My parents were both like doing worship band stuff and I'd go to all their practices. Um, And then my mom decided to have me audition for Ron Beckett as a part of the Arcady. He's a part of Arcady. um, And he hadn't taken on a voice student for a really long time. And then he ended up deciding to work with me and we worked for nine years, which is wild to say. And I started performing with professionals when I was in grade six. Um, My first ever concert with that choir, because I had done choirs before that, and I was in multiple choirs sometimes at one point, um, and did this Christmas concert and doing some traditional tunes and a lot of stuff that he had written himself, Ron Beckett. And then in high school, I had made friends with this guy, Jared Bobar, we'd known each other for a while, and I wanted to do Vincent by Don McLean and other interesting music. And 
I remember going to this coffee house and oh my lord, my legs were shaking so hard I almost fell off the stage after singing. It was just such a rush and it was such a beautiful experience and he was accompanying me on guitar and I was just singing. And then it got to the point where he had a life that wasn't necessarily allowing for him to practice with me. And I felt like I was destitute. It's like, man, I can't, I need, I can't depend on anyone to do this. I need to do this myself. And I wanted to learn Little Ghost by Jack White. So then I picked up the mandolin, this mandolin I made fun of my dad for owning. And again, my dad would play guitar, bass, all that stuff. And then he ended up getting me my own mandolin. And then I started learning as many covers of The Clash as I could. With the mandolin. With the mandolin. Yeah. Just be as strange as I can. And then I started performing and performed with my friend Cameron Bonnyman on percussion. And then that became a whole thing. And I'm in Toronto and playing with a band. But then I'm starting to think, maybe I could do this solo thing. Okay, I've done busking and that's worked out pretty okay. But being on stage, only you, you're much more naked and much more exposed to your audience. So... It was a whole different head game to try to figure out. But I'm very happy that I've done it because, again, bands come and go. They form and then they fall apart. But if you can be self-sufficient, you're golden. It's interesting. You know, you've got this wonderful... It's a wonderful story. And, and it's a lot of the reason I love doing what I get to do these days. Because I like to understand, you know, how people get started with mm -hmm. music and why they make music in the way they do. Mm -hmm. And I don't know with the mandolin whether that's a lot to do with your personality and character that once you picked it up and started to play and and like the sound of it to you mm -hmm. that you were very resistant to even thinking about well you know why don't you get a guitar and and we'll we'll work that way I mean is, is that a reasonable way of of describing things in a way it was my expression of I guess counterculture I had a I had a teacher in high school actually use me in class as an example of counterculture when she was explaining the concept, which is pretty funny. But yeah, I ended up just kind of sticking with the mandolin and I had taken guitar lessons when I was again young, like in grade five, and I didn't really, I didn't latch onto it, but there was something in me that's like, I need to learn this. I'm going to stick with it. And I'm usually a person that's not very good with delayed gratification, so Everyone in my family is shocked I stuck with the mandolin and persisted. And now you've got the mandocello and I think you have a mandola. And you mm -hmm. have, if I understand rightly, you have like eight and also four string mandolins. You play mostly yes. floor, four string, right? I do. My dad uh, has crafted me two custom octave mandolins. So those are now my signature pieces, which is, I'm very humble to have those. And I think people could look at them and think it's just some form of electric guitar couldn't they oh yeah man half of the sound techs i run into are very confused but that's fine yeah. you know what and it's another thing that kind of sets me apart as an artist and it's a way to kind of carry some sort of legacy with me and again the, both of those instruments are just very special and signature and they have their own kind of personality that you don't necessarily find with the guitar which is fine the guitar has a whole different personality and variations of that but Getting to play the octave mandolin is fun. Now, your first recorded music, was that in introspection from last year? Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, that whole EP was pretty fun. That was all recorded on on a typical, like, normal mandolin. 
on a normal. So and what we're yes. talking eight string mandolin and mm-hmm. and has that mandolin sound because yours has such an earthy sound, mm-hmm. which you you know I have. I mean, it it really rumbles. It's like you know when you listen to it. To it is is that where you you really like that connection to uh, the world around you when you play? Hmm, that's an interesting question. I don't know. It feels different, and I feel I feel more settled with it, and so does my audience yeah. when I perform with it. Because, like, again, it's not like it was fun. The shock value of just showing up with a mandolin—it's like you're going to listen to me for a whole set, um, and I enjoyed that. But now kind of coming to a new place and a new era in my life where I feel more settled with it. My voice feels very settled with it. And again, I'm not saying I'm not going to play mandolin in the future. That's not what I'm saying at all. But having the octave, it just has this, um, again, this quality that's very settled versus a mandolin that's very, you know, plucky, very like bright. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is very not bright, which I, mm-hmm. I guess I'm trying to sort of dig into this sort of with a... There's more of a brightness with it than I think. Okay. Like, like a typical guitar in a different way. Like it still yeah. has that bright um, quality with it, but again, by contrast. Yeah. And then with the eight string, um, kind of taking inspiration from a traditional mandocello, like the right. G strings and the D strings are actual octaves. So I have like the high G and then the low G, and same with the D. So let's dig into the music. Resilience is mm-hmm. the new EP. This is an incredibly powerful project because basically through these songs, uh, you're talking about your own sexual assault. Mm-hmm. That that I don't know when that occurred. I know it occurred on Victoria Day. Was it? Yeah. Are we last talking summer. Su- last summer? Yeah. Wow. Okay. And um, the demo version. It's funny. I wasn't even like two weeks away from the incident, um, and. Like a week after I ended up writing that song because I just I needed to to process and I ended up recording it and I recorded a few demos and that demo is not even it's not even two weeks away from that experience and that's why it's very it's very special to me and it has that special quality because it's very real hot off the top very in the moment. Well, the, the the resilience song it really talks about how it feels. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you get that, you know, the and the impact and the lasting impact. I mean, I think that this mm-hmm. sort of constant processing. And then also, I like to mention with the song, I talk about feeling comfortable in public, because that's a really really big piece of it. And also being in Toronto, and I'm not I'm not afraid living in Toronto. But it changed the way that I walked on the streets and I got on the streetcar and noticing people looking at me and noticing men more and, oh, I'm being followed. Okay. I'm, I was very hyper aware in the initial aftermath and going into bars, I could not relax. I don't drink. I just wanted to go see live music. But again, trying to relax and not playing your exit and seeing drunk men around you and feeling anxious and trying to plan your way out the whole time. I can certainly see how how hard that must be. I mean, I think we've all had experiences that make us uncomfortable, but mm-hmm. not everybody fortunately has to to experience something like that, which you know, you you know, the the feeling of violation obviously is is just off the scale. Well, more people than you suspect. That's right. What well, I, and, and I, I can under, certainly understand that. What mm-hmm. has been the impact when you play it? I mean, is that that, you know, you, you play it in a, in a show? 
people come up to you afterwards and 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 want to talk about you know your experience their experience nail on the head actually i have at least one person each performance disclose to me an experience they may not have the language um to call it assault or harassment or what may be but the, people sharing their own traumas with me that's a big part of my shows now and my whole purpose as an artist has changed and there are times where I, w I won't play it. I refuse to play resilience for a crowd that is not listening because it's, it's doing a disservice to it. And I guess that also means that, you know, you have to think very carefully about the gigs you do take to make sure that these oh, are yeah. in venues that would be appropriate for something like this. That the, mm -hmm. You know, I, I know you uh, you say, I think that, you, you know, you this is music to be listened to. It's intimate music that it, people need to connect with. It's not Definitely. something that you can have in the background or something like that. No, it's not. It's not wallpaper musician music when you go into a restaurant, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and that's my whole purpose behind it. It's very confrontational. I'd like to dip back into the EP and play another track. I want to play No Words. Okay. Tell us how this song fits in. I, I get the impression, mm -hmm. was Resilience the first song you wrote about the incident? It definitely was. It was kind of the catalyst for this whole idea to come about, um, and this whole kind of concept, and to create this whole storyline. And no words? It was actually written um, before Resilience. And that's the funny thing. Certain songs that I've written, I feel like they... I don't know how to describe it. They become more real, or they apply more to my life as I have newer experiences and I experience more things. Um, so I wrote no words. I wrote it that February before, which is kind of wild to think that there was that lapse, but it, it fit with the narrative of figuring out that I don't really know how to relate to people right now. Um, and people don't know how to relate to me and people don't know how to talk to me. I had people kind of abandoned me, which I talk more about in Where the Truth Lies, um, but with no words, just feeling that social isolation and saying things are insensitive or people just assuming that I'm fine because I present as being a strong, independent woman and not actually seeing that I am experiencing immense amounts of pain. Let's play that song just now. This is Saffron A with no words from her new EP, Resilience. You're listening to Folk Roots Radio, and I'm John Hall.
Saffron A with no words from her new EP, Resilience. Now, Resilience lands in May. The actual song, Resilience, will actually arrive just in a few days. Saffron A is our special guest in the Folk Roots radio studio today. That's a, a very powerful song again. And it's interesting because I think, you know, with that song being written before Resilience, and mm-hmm. to me it really fits. It's got a real fragility to it. And, you know, in... I, I guess I can really connect with the idea that it's really hard to know, you know, how to cope and how, what to say after something like this has happened to you. Mm-hmm. And again, the person I was hanging out with who ended up assaulting me, we were just hanging out as friends. And most of my friends are male. Um, so, and, and none of them have ever been inappropriate with me, but it definitely threw me off because, again, there were no... There was no warning signs. There was nothing leading up to it. There were no predictors. It just happened. And then I'm just kind of left dealing with the aftermath of it. Can we talk about your songwriting? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're a poet as well. And I think you actually, did you, you put out a book of poetry before the first album, Introspection? Is that how, how I things did. Happened? I did. Um, and most of my music, it starts as poetry. I've been writing poetry since, again, grade four, since we're going all by just tracing it through elementary school, I guess. And poetry, to me, has been a very powerful vehicle of communication and using wordplay and presenting interesting ideas with metaphors and 
and then using music to communicate it and using melody to create a different atmosphere and a person performing, it creates a whole different dynamic that I feel is much more powerful. And I want the words not to just remain on a page. So do you journal as well? Oh, I journal all the time. I have a whole stack. Yeah. Especially over the last two years, I've been very, very consistent. Yeah. And so take us through the process. So um, do you start off with journal entries that may start to become um, poetry? Is, is that how things work? Or how do you actually... It's always interesting to learn people's process in these situations. My process is kind of no process, as counterintuitive as that sounds. Um, for me, it's a very spiritual thing. When I was first attempting to write songs, they were all terrible. But that's everyone's experience writing songs. You have to write a ton. You have to write a whole graveyard worth of dead songs before you get things that you're proud of, or you think you're proud of certain things, and then you're like, what is this? Months later, why did I think this was good? What's wrong with me? So I guess for me, I just, I gave up. I'm just, I'm not doing it. And then for me, it was a very spiritual moment when writing, writing introspection was a huge turning point for me to say, oh, wow, I can actually write music that's palatable, that's doing what I want it to do. And then from there, it's always been very different. Um, I have a song called Emotional Relapse, and I came up with the hook while on a walk with my friend Harry on the Grand River, and then I ended up ducking into a Tim Hortons bathroom to record the the one line into my, my cell phone so that I could remember it later. Some songs, like Resilience, I, I wrote it all in one session and then continued to work on it. A song like No Words, I did the same thing. I actually wrote it because I was anxious about not being able to write music on this songwriting retreat, so I had to in some way write songs to prove to myself I can write songs, which sounds very ridiculous. But then for other songs, they've started with me just writing out a poem, like Imagine Conversations at Royal York Station just started as a whole list of haikus after being on a very disappointing date and then idealizing someone that wasn't good for me and thinking, oh, well, they weren't that trash, but in reality, they were that trash. Um, and then I sent the haikus to my mom, and she responds. She's like, oh, is this a song? And I don't know if it is a song. So every time that I write a song, it's a very different experience for me. So the EP is coming out. We mentioned mm -hmm. it's coming out in May. Mm -hmm. uh, you talk in your notes on your website about this eventually growing into a a full-length concept album. Does that mean there'll be other EPs that will add to this and then a selection of songs will appear on a full-length album? Yes, um, this is part one. This okay. is part one of the journey. And how many, do you, will there be two other EPs or have you not decided exactly I have how things are going to happen? I have decided. Um, so we're going to release um, the Resilience EP. Um, then later we're going to be releasing the Resistance EP, which is a kind of second movement. And then we are going to release the full concept that has a third undisclosed part. Oh, we'll have to wait for that. That sounds, uh, I, I, I guess, I hope at the end that, you know, that peace can come through this. I mean, there will what? be hope. There yeah. will be hope, I promise you. <laughs> well, it's always that question. It's, you know, especially, I mean, I, I love concept albums. I, I love any music that people have really thought about 
mm-hmm. you know, what they're creating. It's it's not that, you know, it, it's just, you know, it, it's really thoughtful and, and, and needs to be sat with. This quite mm-hmm. clearly is, is music like that. So thank um, you. I'm pleased to hear that, as you say, there'll, there'll be hope and, you know, mm-hmm. do you feel at this point, I mean, you know, do you feel that you're starting to get, I don't know, if, I don't know if you can say more comfortable with where you're at now. I mean, it's a difficult thing to kind of put down. Healing is not linear. No. Um, I've been getting help, which has been really great. I've been also pushing through schooling. That's been extremely triggering at times because I'm in a justice studies program studying with um, people that want to be police officers and lawyers and that whole gambit, which is another reason why I'm making this record because I need to make this human for people. Because in my institution, there's very few professors that understand how to make this human. And we don't have any classes on trauma or relationship dynamics. All the learning that I have on that is from my co-ops. It's from my own learning. It's from having um, my mother, who is very thoughtful and very understanding, and we both like to educate ourselves. And just being able to take my experience and make something positive something that's helpful and hopefully something that will disturb people enough to understand that this is an actual issue that people experience and we need to care about it. The people that we elect need to care. The people in our government need to care. You know, there's four Toronto police officers right now that are suing the Toronto Police Department for sexual harassment because of all of the pictures, videos, and emails, and all that other form of media that fellow officers were sending to them, right? This is normal within our justice system. Like, we can't have police policing a population and stopping people from committing sexual violence or sexual harassment or any form of harassment if that is a normal thing for them, right? And if we look at our court system, who, who are we protecting? Who is being protected? So the more that I've been, I'll say educated, <laughs> the more passionate I've been about this record. And right now I'm in a place where it's like, okay, I got two weeks of school left. Man, this feels like pulling teeth. I just want to work on my record. The only thing important that I can do right now is work on this record and do shows. Because that's the only place I can make difference is talking to people face to face. Have I had an opportunity to actually settle down and relax and have peace? No, I have not yet. I'm hoping it, I'm hoping that this summer in the middle, I'm going to have a bit of a break. So I'll be able to kind of find my new normal again. I have pieces of kind of developing a new normal, but I'm still kind of running on the adrenaline of existing. If that made any sense. That makes lots of sense. Can we talk about the live experience? Um, I know you've been involved in you know, conferences, Folk Music Ontario. I think you went to the Northeastern uh, Region Folk Alliance as well. I did. And then you've been, you know, you, you've been doing some gigs. You've got quite a few gigs coming up this spring and summer. I do. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about the, the live experience, the, the shows that you do and what people can expect if they come to a Safranay show. Wow. Well, as far as the live experience goes... Um, with the shows that I have coming up, I'm very, very excited to work with the artists that I get to work with. And I'm doing a lot of them with Wax Mannequin, too, which is really cool. Um, talking about, 
like he talks about political issues too. And my best shows are when I have a listening audience, when I have people that are quiet and ready to connect. And when you can get that, um, that exchange of energy, it's so beautiful. I feel like it was best illustrated at the uh, Folk Music Ontario conference during the um, Developing Artist Program official showcase. That was wild. I didn't even know if I should play Resilience. I wasn't sure if it was appropriate at that point. And then when I talked to my my uh, mentor, B'nai Shikwai, they told me to go and do it. And then, man, I played Resilience and the emotional energy was so high that it allowed me to get into more of an emotional space. And then when I'm playing introspection, I couldn't look at certain people because they were still processing it and still feeling it because I didn't want to cry. That's something I've gotten very good at, is not crying on stage and not allowing myself to get to the point of no return. Like, it's it's fine when I'm able to feel emotional and kind of sit in that moment, but then if I get to a place where I, I can't continue, I can't get there. I, I can't allow myself to get to a place where I can't continue to perform. But playing Resilience now, months later, it feels more reflective to me. It feels like it's very close. It's very intimate. It's the most intimate song I've written, but I feel that I've created some distance with it through both time and performance and seeing it as having a purpose beyond myself. And I'll tell you, the best concert I played this past summer was in Glencoe. Glencoe at the train station. The Via Rail train came roaring past at one point, and I played Resilience for that small town population. And the people that were buying my CDs were the old farmers. They bought my poetry books too, which was very, very humbling. Um, but definitely the people that I want to attract to my performances are people that are ready to have an engaging dialogue and people that are being thoughtful about what they're listening to and people that want to talk to me after. I love that. I love talking with my audience. And again, when people want to come up and, and share their own experiences. Mm -hmm. Some of the the shows that you've been doing and will be doing uh, this spring and summer are with other groups supporting mm -hmm. issues in relation to the whole issue of consent on campus. Yes. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I'm working with the um, ASK, which is Advocates for Student Culture of Consent, for my hometown show in Brantford and then a show in Waterloo. So what's gonna happen for that is I'm going to play some music at the start, they're going to do a bystander intervention workshop, and then I'm going to finish with some music, which is gonna be very fun for everyone involved. Yeah, it's certainly, I can see that this project over the the next two or three years about how it's gonna develop, because there are, there are a lot of, of of women's groups and you know groups on campus you know concerned about the issue of of consent that i'm sure would probably be very interested in in having you come and mm -hmm. you know and talk and play man and i i love doing that i love i love working with people and viewing music as as soon as music becomes something about me and how great i am and how great of a performer i am then i'm gonna lose it I'm not going to have it anymore. That's a very spiritual thing for me, too, because rugby became my all. And I dislocated my shoulder really bad. 
I'm R- happy. R- you were a rugby player too? Oh man. Yeah. I did martial arts and wrestling oh. and then rugby and rugby was going to be my thing. And then lost it all because I became arrogant and I needed to be humbled. And I feel like with music, if I ever get to the point where it's all about me and raising me up and making it about how cool I am and my ego, it's going to be gone. So you'd be putting that mandolin away. Then you might pick up the guitar. Oh, Lord. (laughs) No, no. But again, like being able to do what I love. I've done a lot of volunteering with Nova Vida in Brantford, which is our the only women's shelter that exists. And being actually in high school, I started doing body image presentations for grade nines when I was in grade 11, me and my friend Hannah Deagle. And then we did that in grade 12. We went to elementary schools doing body image presentations for young girls. So it's kind of a continuation of that and coming at music from a point of education and focusing on learning and connecting and I don't know. I want to. I want to be very, very intentional, and I want people to feel feel comfortable having conversations that they don't normally have. Let's go back to the EP and play another track. I'd like to play "Where the Truth Lies." You've mentioned it a couple of times mm-hmm. during our conversation so far. Tell us a little bit about this song. Oh, "Where the Truth Lies" is kind of it's fun. I wrote it. When I lived in North Etobicoke in my basement without windows. (laughs) Wrote a lot of songs there. And it's kind of become one that stuck with me. And I've worked with different arrangements of it. It just totally fit with talking about becoming, becoming more wary of other people. And there were a lot of times in the summer where I was trying to make plans with friends. Because I felt like I needed to be around other people. And they would just back out last second and I had to learn to take myself out on my own and then again having people who I trusted and I thought were going to be there for me in those moments and I'd been there for them just leave me because they didn't they couldn't deal with it at the time and they couldn't they didn't have the capacity to support me in the way that I needed to be supported so I had to learn to be very self-sufficient in a way which was Again, a difficult lesson to learn, but I'm happy that I've been able to learn it. Again, being abandoned in your time of need isn't great. (laughs) It's not something I would wish on anyone, but it's also made me a lot more aware to never do that to anyone else. And then wondering what people are really thinking when they're talking to you. I don't know, seeing a part of someone... Seeing a part of someone that you weren't expecting to see and then it makes you look at your whole relationship differently. Let's play that song just now. This is Saffron A with Where the Truth Lies from her new EP Resilience. You're listening to Folk Roots Radio and I'm Jan Hall. Oh 
That's Saffron A with Where the Truth Lies from her new EP, Resilience. It arrives in May. Saffron A is our special guest in the studio at Folk Roots Radio. We've been having a wonderful conversation about her music. We've reached that point in the interview, though. I always like to, to ask the question, well, what happens next? Now, we, we've talked a lot about the fact that this concept album is coming out in three bits. We've got mm-hmm. re- Resilience, Resistance, and then... The hope bit or whatever the that mystery. Ends up, the mystery bit. But you're also a poet, you write. I think you're still in school as well. Are you two weeks and then I'm out, baby. Oh, and that, <laughs> is that completely the end then after that? Mm-hmm. Then I'll be I'm in my fourth fourth year and I will be done my degree and I'll be free to live my life as I want. And so what other things do you have going on and, you know, plans that you're thinking about? I know you've got these shows and while we were chatting during that song, actually, there were several things that we talked about. One is that that song often ends up getting played uh, at the beginning of shows. Mm-hmm. Is that right? That's one of those songs that you, you play to get people to to pay attention. Definitely. The riff definitely uh, grabs people's attention. And when I ask people afterwards what stuck out to them, because that's half the fun, hearing what people identify with. Usually Where the Truth Lies is a song that they'll specifically pick out as something that they really connected with or something that they thought was really cool or they like the riff and all that other stuff. So it's kind of fun just to 
Once you grab the audience and once you have them, you have them for the whole set. Now, we were talking about the gigs. You've actually got quite a few in May and June, but you're also mm -hmm. uh, going to be playing down in Boston as well at Cub Club Passam as well. Mm-hmm, for their um, Campfire Festival in May. That's going to be very, very fun. I'm very honored to be invited to go down. And with the list of shows that have been planned and scheduled, they're all very... There's a whole mix. Because at the beginning, we have Hamilton as my first show. The Pale Blue Dot is a really, really sweet venue. Well, it's not quite a venue. It's a store that they host uh, shows at. And it's all sustainable products. Piper Hayes is fantastic. Piper and Carson are going to be there. Brantford, it's going to be hometown. Coach House working with Ask, which we talked about earlier. Waterloo, same kind of setup working with Ask. Toronto, I've not played the Burdock. Played Lee's, Horseshoe Tavern, most of them, but not Burdock. And that'll be fun with Wax Mannequin. And then Eagle. I'm excited for Eagle. I love playing smaller communities and bringing music to areas where they don't normally get a lot of That's people e out of town. Eagle in southwestern Ontario? Eagle, southwestern Ontario, oh. other side of London. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that's going to be very fun. Um, I have family and friends in that neighborhood. And then Peterborough is going to be cool and heading out to Kingston. Musiki was a good time doing those shows with Wax Mannequin. And then Ottawa, I haven't been to Bar Robo yet. Then I'm going to spend some time in Montreal, run south super quick for Club Passim. Uh, then I'm going to be going up to Sudbury, which is going to be lovely. I have a lot of family up in Tomogamy, which again is more north of Sudbury. Um, but I remember a lot of summers driving through Sudbury and spending some time there and checking out the mines, doing all that fun stuff. I should mention that you were saying when we were listening to the song that you know sometimes booking is challenging but you actually seem mm. to have done a pretty good job I, I haven't actually looked at the back and forwards here but you seem to have actually put something together that fits quite well but you also have mm -hmm. a couple of festivals I think this summer as well don't you yes I cannot disclose them at this time but it's going to be very very exciting to expand my reach Again, with emailing and booking, I always do all my own booking. Every so often, I'll get invited to play somewhere. But what I've learned is, one, be a nice person. Two, send out 10 emails and expect one or two responses. My first ever show in Toronto was me in Brantford, freaking out about the idea of playing outside of Brantford and playing in Toronto, because that seems very scary. And then one night, it's like, you know, just do it. I sent out 10 emails first place I ever got a response from was the Horseshoe Tavern. So that was my first ever show really outside of Brantford. And again, one of the oldest venues. Oh yeah, great place to start off. That must make you feel really, very good. That was very interesting. Not one of my best shows. A lot of venues that carry very big names and have, I don't know, that sort of reputation they're not very intimate. That's what I found. Mm -hmm. Like the Lee's Palace stage, it's so tall. And then I'm singing into a black void. So I've gotten good at staring into the black void, figuring out where approximately people are so they feel like I'm making eye contact with them. Because that's my, that's my thing. I love making eye contact with people while I'm performing. Well, that's one of the things you mentioned earlier, that, the, you know, these are songs that need to be listened to, that, mm -hmm. you know, this is, as you say, an intimate show. And I do love the way you talk about describing your music as sitting where emotion and intellect intersect. That is very beautiful. 
That's my way of getting around giving myself a genre. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I put you into alternative folk, but you're also a poet. Uh, is there going to be more poetry coming as well? Um, definitely when everything um, comes together and is released, I want to have a book to come with it so people can not only um, process the music um, like... Um, through listening that they can also read it you know different people have different learning styles I know I sound like a teacher my mom's a teacher so that's how I think too um, but giving people access to the words so they can have a, a different understanding and you know artists like Janice Ian you know I listen to one of her records I am in that song booklet reading it while I'm listening to it reading it over and over analyzing it enjoying it breathing it we did not talk about your influences. You've just mentioned one. Mm. Uh, other people that you... Uh, well, it's it's people, I mean, that you love and people that influence you. Can you talk briefly about that? Definitely. Uh, Janice Ian is my number one. I love her so much. Um, uh, Jack White, huge. I love how he does not... He constricts himself in certain ways, but as far as, like, genre and the types of song he writes, he doesn't feel... Like, he has to fit in a specific mold. He does whatever he wants. And that's what I want to do as an artist. Um, Paul Simon is also very interesting. Um, I love Simon and Garfunkel and understanding how words and music and that interplay can work. I'm very influenced by Handel's Messiah in Baroque. I love, love dissonance. It's so fun. Again, I was trained as an alto. So that's why with some of my melodies... Um, especially with a song like Introspection, it's not it's not consistent from phrase to phrase. I make a lot of variations on the theme, we'll say. Do you ever see your future with a band or expanding what you do? I mean, you've just mentioned, I mean, you still love a lot of the Baroque music that you grew up with. I've had bands. I've worked with other people. Um, I haven't found someone who has committed to this as I am. Riley Campbell is the person who I feature on drums on this record. He is fantastic, but pinning him down for his show is hard, man, because he's also in another kind of artsy sector um, as far as where he's like his number one passion. Music is very, very close, but it's still second. For me, this is my number one. But then again, going to Nerfa, man, that was a wild ride. I made a lot of friends and I made a friend in Boston who plays fiddle and she ended up, we met at supper. We hang out and like I got vegan ice cream at the local CVS pharmacy with her and I asked her to play during my showcase and now we're planning on playing in the summer, um, oh, nice. which is going to be super fun. So you meet people in different places and again, she's not someone that I'm going to play with all the time as of right now, but finding again, people that have that level of commitment um, that I have for this specific project, I, I can't find that and I'm not willing to compromise. It's been great to have you join us today. If people want to learn more about your music, how can they do that? All over the interwebs. Um, if you search Saffron A, Saffron spelled like the spice. <laughs> um, I'm on Bandcamp, iTunes, Apple Music, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, all of this stuff. Been... And if you search like Saffron A music specifically, I think you can pick up a lot more quick. It's been great to have you join us. We're going to finish with... I think the final track on the mm -hmm. EP, that is Give Me a Minute. Tell me about that one. That song, it's written about burnout. I'm still kind of riding on fumes of burnout. And again, just talking about 
how it's so easy when people ask how you are to just say, oh, I'm fine. And that's not actually how you're feeling. And they know you're being disingenuous and you know you're being disingenuous. And how quickly we want to kind of diminish our pain and not process it and just carry on for the sake of carry on, well, carrying on instead of slowing down and actually taking the time to care for ourselves. It's been great again to have you join us. This is Saffron A with Give Me a Minute from her new EP, Resilience. Remember, that's part one of a three-part series. It's been fabulous having you in the studio today. Thank you so much for having me. You're listening to Folk Roots Radio, and I'm Jan Hall.
choice now.